together we can create our new digital leader. Connection, engagement, confidence. Do we feel we are in a psychologically safe place? Language shouldn't be able to stop you from career progression. We are changing the, the future landscape of business, of leadership. Hello, and welcome to the Changemaker Conversations, brought to you by HealthTF Corporate Education. My name is Dr. Milena Kupez, and in this series, we aim to bring you insights and stories from leaders and leadership developers who create change and inspire others to do the same. Today, I have the pleasure to speak with changemaker Emma Cumming. Emma is an award-winning global diversity, equity, and inclusion manager at Capco. Capco, as many of you know, is one of the largest global management and technology consultancy firms in the world. Emma is an advocate for creating and maintaining diverse, equitable, and inclusive cultures to improve employee experience and well-being at work. But without further ado, Emma, welcome to the podcast. Hello, thank you for having me. We are very happy to have you, and I'm so curious to hear more about you. So, Emma, let's start with you. What is your background? Oh, thank you very much. So, um, my background is um, a mixture, actually, starting off in education, moving into human resources, and then into diversity, equity, inclusion. But I actually uh, I, I grew up in the Middle East and went to an international school Um exposure to many different cultures and my passion for people really started at a young age uh, very curious by nature and I'm always fascinated by people's lives experiences and backgrounds and because of that I obviously went on to study psychology and I took an interest in um, occupational psychology how um, companies and schools really navigate uh, people support and um, look to embed into their their systems some equitable solutions and it led me to my career into the educational system so here I was improving processes systems and supporting students uh, with disabilities neurodivergent students and creating those equitable solutions and training parents and teachers to improve that learning experience of students uh, with different abilities and it's there that I identified that adults faced similar situations in terms of um, challenges around stigma, lack of awareness, lack of support when entering the workforce. So this really prompted me to look into um, human resources and what that meant in terms of uh, looking at the employee life cycle, creating forums for people to um, share their voice, share their lived experiences. And naturally, uh, that took me into diversity, equity and inclusion, which is where I am now. Wow, what a journey. It uh, sounds like it was a natural progression right from the start. So I I know a little bit about you now. Can you tell me a little bit more about Capco? What do they do? And I guess how your role fits in. Yeah, absolutely. So Capco, as you mentioned earlier, is a, a global management and technology consultancy. And it's dedicated to financial services and energy industries. 
Capco has presence across Asia, Europe, and the Americas. And my role within the organization is a global diversity, equity, and inclusion manager. In 2021, the Center of Excellence was created, and the Center of Excellence is really there to take a people-first, data-led approach to informing and influencing change within the organization, specifically around diversity, equity, and inclusion. And with that, my role has really explored the lived experiences of people from underrepresented groups in the employee life cycle. So that's from hiring and attraction through to offboarding into the organization, offboarding from the organization. And um, in my role, there it's a diverse range of uh, roles and responsibilities, working with human resources, working with internal comms, recruitment, marketing, learning and development, and talent teams to really embed diversity, equity and inclusion into to everything that we do. And some of that work does get, into, does get to know a lot of our employees, what their experiences are through a series of employee voice, uh, voice forums, which we'll share a little bit further into our conversation. Wonderful. It sounds like a great place to be. And uh, Emma, I know from your background and when we first connected that you have a specific interest in allyship and uh, you really kind of want everybody to create a role in playing uh, in creating a psychologically safe environment. So I know that's your passion and I know that's where you see your change-making ability really flourish. So I'd love for you to talk to me about allyship. Absolutely. So allyship, just to talk around the definition, allyship is a term that is used to describe the active and consistent practice of unlearning and reevaluating. And this is when using your privilege, positional power to support and advocate for people with less privilege. And to define to find to define privilege is a set of unearned benefits given to people who fit into a specific social group due to our protected characteristics such as race, gender, sexual orientation, ability, all of us have greater or lesser access to resources and social power. And the reason I'm so fascinated um, about allyship is that behavioral change within an organization. We do a lot of focus around numbers, representation within the organization, but actually a lot of the work is focused on behavioral change. And with allyship and the importance of having allies in the organization is to remove barriers in the workplace for people to grow, to be retained, to be developed. And our society, as you know, is set up in ways that prioritize some groups over others. Uh, Just to think of a, a common example here is a workplace may be easy to navigate for a person without a disability, but much harder for someone who uses a wheelchair. Now, allyship in this context involves understanding those inequities like these and taking concrete steps to help level the playing fields. Um, A lot of work that we do within Capco is around an organization called Lean In that have developed an active allyship framework that really does position seeing your privilege at the core of practicing allyship. And by seeing your privilege, people are able to have the awareness of the advantages 
and how to use that to level the playing field and make workplaces more equitable. And allyship is so powerful because whilst you have a dedicated diversity, equity and inclusion centre of excellence, whether that be a team of one person, a team of five people, whatever it might be, is that that team alone can't make that change within the organisation. And having active allies embedded into the ways in which we work is super important to moving the dial on diversity, equity, inclusion. I can definitely see that. And once again, at the root of any change is the intent to create change. And for that intent to happen, you need the awareness first. That's really the foundation. As you were talking, I kept thinking, well, it sounds like people do want to uh, have allyship and are definitely pro-allyship. It sounds like an amazing thing. Why wouldn't you? So then why, even though we have all this great intention, it doesn't always transform into behavior? Uh, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's a good call out because there is definitely an intent do gap when it comes to practicing allyship. Now, the intent do gap is that space between our good intentions and the actions we take. So whilst many people see themselves as allies or may be familiar with the term allyship, people are still not taking even the basic actions. And additionally, there is a disconnect between what is the most meaningful action versus what people prioritise. This just goes to show how important it is to provide training for employees to broaden the understanding of unconscious bias, microaggressions, language, behaviours and lived experiences of different identities, and then giving practical actions for practising allyship. Now, allyship itself isn't always globally recognised as a term, and the actions itself are better recognised than the word allyship. So rather than talking about allyship and saying that more people need to show up as an ally, we need to take intentional um, approaches to raising awareness of what we mean by allyship and how people can show up as an ally. Now at CAPCO, all of our awareness events that are run through employee networks, employee um, and, and affinity groups, we always summarise the actions for allies at the end of each event so that the audience is taking away some tangible actions off the back of um hearing more about some challenges or um or well yeah, mainly around challenges and, and how people can show up at work now combined with this approach to embedding allyship into our events we launched as i mentioned earlier the lean in allyship at work program uh, this is to create safe spaces to explore discuss and reflect on allyship privilege workplace inequities, actions and commitments. The way that it's structured within CAPCO is taking an intentional approach with each region and um, making sure that there is that safe space and tailored language to the region and their maturity of understanding diversity, equity and inclusion. That workshop is um, two hours long and this is coupled with, with three to four accountability sessions in small groups uh, alongside a personal workbook. And the reason accountability sessions are so important is because one event or one workshop alone doesn't make impactful change. And actually, people need to be held accountable and working in small groups, talking about your commitments, exploring workplace inequities in discussion, how it shows up. 
uh, exploring uncomfortable conversations like privilege sometimes does make people feel uncomfortable. But having those conversations, having that space to have that conversation and then holding yourself accountable um, alongside a group is a really powerful tool to embed allyship into the workplace. It does indeed sound like an extremely powerful tool and it really sounds like um, this initiative, the Leans in Allyship at Work program has been very successful in integrating that. So I speak with a lot of organizations and it doesn't sound to me as though everybody has such a strong allyship program. And I'm wondering to what extent do you feel that allies are really needed at work to move the dial on diversity, equity, and inclusion? And to what extent is like something like a bonus? Do you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I think one of the key things to communicate is that everyone can be an ally and allies are there to help people with traditionally marginalized identities feel supported and included. Now, what often happens in organizations is that employee resource groups, otherwise known as employee networks, affinity groups, is that they will host a series of events that raise awareness around the challenges that um, specific identities face within the workplace. And it often falls onto that identity to make change when actually it shouldn't be that way. It's not one person's responsibility from a traditionally marginalized identity to make that change. In fact, everyone plays a role in moving the dial in diversity, equity, inclusion. And small things such as using their voice to practice allyship, they'll be role modeling inclusive behaviors. And the more it's demonstrated in the workplace, the more employees will step up to. And with this consistent and active actions, we can see a, a cultural shift to promote equity. Um, so for, for those that know McKinsey, there is a report in McKinsey's Women in Workplace 2022. And they report that whilst women are more likely to face microaggressions than men, that typically undermine them professionally, such as being interrupted and having their judgment questioned. People of colour, namely women of colour, often experience these microaggressions at a higher rate. And these experiences can take a heavy toll and can lead to burnout, feeling negatively about a job, often leading to leaving a job, and those increased levels of stress at work. Now, women of colour not only face higher rates of microaggressions, they also still lack active allies. In this report as well, they found that more than three quarters of white employees consider themselves allies to women of colour at work, but less than half take the basic allyship actions, such as speaking out against bias, bringing voices back into the room after interruptions, or advocating for new opportunities for women of colour. Where companies are making efforts to retain and progress diverse talent allyship can make a huge difference and by having those strong allies at work it can increase employee satisfaction and happiness reduce burnout and retain diverse talent and you mentioned earlier when you opened uh, the session around psychological safety and psychological safety is something that everyone also has responsibility of creating 
that and with that psychological safety it does reduce that fear of of judgment of punishment of ridicule and as a result employees feel empowered to bring their authentic selves to work and by building psychologically safe environments it not only improves organizational outcomes but it's the right thing to do and this is where allies having active allies can really contribute to that psychologically safe space and i'm i'm a big um fan of brene brown and one of her books i've i consistently read probably about three or four times um but it's called dare to lead it's a must read and in this book brene outlines practical tips for managers and leaders on how they can create psychologically safe spaces which is be vulnerable be receptive to feedback be transparent and honest allow for mistakes connect with employees and be active listeners now a lot of things that have been listed here is actually practices that allies should take as well in the sense that when practicing allyship there is bound to be mistakes that people make um and it's just accepting that making mistakes is part of the learning journey and it's how you deal with those mistakes after how you build those connections with employees and active listening is actually one of the most powerful tools to understanding people's lived experiences and improving the ways in which people show up as allies so i'll hone in on active listening because i've mentioned listening forums um in my introduction but at catco we created listening forums for um for underrepresented groups and this is where we really do have that space that open space that safe space for people to share their experiences and and feedback um and learn about any perceived challenges or or barriers that are related to retention and progression at work and then using these insights to help inform the decisions on initiatives and and programs but also to build this into allyship programs where we're really talking around lived experiences of people within the organization and how people can show up um within the workspace to advocate and to um to be allies to people of underrepresented groups thank you emma it really sounds like it's uh, truly essential to create platforms for change no matter what we do because we might have like you said earlier all the best intention in the world but if there is no platform to express that intention if there's no platform that invites us to be our true selves then uh, we're not really in the game so thank you for really kind of honing in for that i think it makes a lot of sense i am so impressed by how well you've spoken about allyship in the context of what it means practically because it does sound like a concept like we said earlier that we all embrace but then when it comes to everyday reality it's a different question so i really appreciate how you explained to us how it plays out in Capco. I think it's something that uh, we can all learn from. So thank you so much for that. And I guess that leads me to my last question. And it's a question that we love to ask all of our listeners. So I'm going to ask you as well. And um, that is, what is the one thing that you have learned along the way that you wish you would have known earlier in your career? One thing I know now that I I wish I knew early on in my career is that 
when we're feeling uncomfortable, it's a sign that we're challenging ourselves and we're growing. And I wish I knew this sooner in my life, that life is not a test where I must get everything right in order to succeed or feel good, but rather a journey. And it takes taking risks and going into the unknown and and growing in that process. So learning that life is not a test has been the most important thing to me. And when you feel uncomfortable, you're you're growing. I love that, actually. It's interesting how we're often we often put in a position of judging ourselves and uh, trying to understand if we passed the challenge, if we did well or if we did badly, but really kind of observing yourself without judgment and not seeing everything as a test is uh, it puts us into a better mentality of learning, which is what we're after of improvement. So I really appreciate that advice. That's something I should remind myself as well now. So thank you for that, Emma. You're very welcome. And thank you for this amazing conversation. It has truly been inspirational to chat with you today. And I know our listeners will really appreciate it as well. So I hope to have you back on the show soon. But in the meantime, best of luck with all these great initiatives. Thank you very much for having me. Have a wonderful day. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Changemaker Conversations. Would you like to talk further about unlocking human potential and creating positive change, either one-to-one or on this very podcast? If so, please visit haltf.com slash inspire. Until next time, goodbye.